Here comes the digital media shakeout and a recipe to reinvent your legacy media company. This is episode 49 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom Asaka and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom Asaka. Tom, here comes that digital media shakeout. You knew it was coming. Again. <laughs> this is <laughs> from our friend Michael Wolf. Michael Wolf is a regular contributor to this podcast uh, and probably doesn't even know it. Uh, he's the uh, cranky USA Today uh, writer who always has something to say about media, which he's convinced is true. Although in this case, it might actually be true. He begins by kind of telling stories of his conversations with the folks from BuzzFeed and Gawker. Uh, Gawker, of course, just filed uh, bankruptcy because of that Hulk Hogan thing. And uh, BuzzFeed just split into two companies and framed it as, a, I guess, an enhancement. Here's what he writes. We are, all this might argue, looking at the last man standing period in digital media. Unlike in most royal industries facing oversupply and rising costs, where the last man will be the largest company with the least amount of debt in digital media, still, after 20 years, without any precise way to judge a winner, it's more about who has the best argument for why they should be a winner. It's more politics than business. Maybe, Tom, it's more PR than business, right? I don't know. You know I, I like the way he writes, but it's what he writes that really confuses me. <laughs> I, honestly, last man standing? I mean, there's going to be, what, one digital media player? Well, listen the, to what he goes on to say. He said, let's be more precise. There are two clear winners in digital media, Google and Facebook, and their imperial success has largely reduced everybody else to a vassal state living off their patronage and goodwill. The duopoly has forced the cost of advertising down and the price of traffic up, meaning for everybody else in the advertising and traffic business, prospects shrink. And as you know, I think... Earlier this year, I think we talked about this in the first quarter of 2016, something like 85% of all dollars going to online advertisers went to Google and Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I think that what he's trying to say is, where's the evidence that the other players in the category can be more than just, uh, you know, viewers of the game from afar? Look... <laughs> I think what he's missing is that this, you know, he calls it the digital. The digital marketplace is no different than the analog marketplace. Mm -hmm. If someone can appeal to a particular audience in a unique way, and I mean, it's a way that sustains people's attention and creates an exchange of value. And the interesting thing is it only has to be enough value to sustain a relationship on both sides. If that happens that offering is going to exist in the marketplace, period. Now, what I didn't understand is, see, the barriers to entry in cost of digital media production are, are, are shrinking. Mm -hmm. They're low. He said the costs were high, didn't he? He said the, uh, the cost of advertising down and the price of traffic up. And I What's think that what mean, he means the price of traffic up? Is the, the, cost, fact that you've got, go the, the, the cost of producing advertising is lower. Right. The cost of gaining traffic with your advertising is higher. Gaining traffic. Gaining attention to the, your ad is greater than ever. Why? Um, because so many people, well, because, I, and this is where I think your argument m misses his point. When you talk about, you know, if you have an audience that's paying attention, if you have an audience that you have a relationship and they're into the category and all that, Right. The problem is everyone wants scale because ah. there, are, there is no economy without scale. So when everyone marches in the direction of scale, um, 
everyone disappoints and everyone real, real, realizes that no matter what the scale is, it's not enough scale to achieve scale. <laughs> right. So he should have modified what he wrote, right? I mean, he wrote, digital media remains not just a tricky proposition, but a largely theoretical one. Mm -hmm. Nobody really knows what it is or how it succeeds. He should have modified it to read, building a massive scale digital media business remains tricky. But obviously, Google and Facebook figured out how to do it, right? So yes. can they sustain it? That's what nobody really knows because no one knows what's coming next that's drawing those eyeballs away eventually. Well, he comments I mean, on that a little bit. He says, true, there are other gambits. You can build a competing platform like Snapchat that offering a different sort of social media approach and functionality, on the other hand, didn't work out so well for Twitter or Verizon with AOL and Yahoo or CNN, as he points out. CNN is able to leverage the content it profitably produces on a television platform right. into a digital brand extension, making it the largest online news provider probably the most profitable at the same time. So what he's really saying is, you know, are these standalone businesses or are these businesses that survive um, uh, through the patronage of partnership with other businesses, which is why the title of the article is Shakeout, because Shakeout implies not that these things necessarily go out of business, but that they're picked up by other companies that have other platforms that are already profitable. That's how I read what he's writing here. And I think it's supported by the fact that he points out that a good part of BuzzFeed's revenue, for example, doesn't come from entertaining people or from being an entertainment brand or information or anything like that, but from acting as an ad agency for digital clients. And yeah. that's also true for Vice. It is, you know, all this native advertising, even Panoply to a degree in the podcasting space, um, a good deal of their content is essentially native advertising. They are, in a sense, an ad agency. And yeah, why okay. they don't call themselves ad agencies, because as he puts it here, um, let's see, I, I don't, rem I don't remember well, where he Well, listen, it, I'll give him credit for this. Look, he, he writes that, for that insight, he mm -hmm. writes it's easier to collect fees from corporate clients than yes. to build a valuable audience. And then curiously, the corporate clients pay because they think you know how to build a valuable audience. See, building, a value, building and maintaining a valuable audience is the name of every marketplace game. And, and the thing is, is it takes creativity, skill, patience, discipline, but patience and discipline is antithetical to, to this quick fix corporate mentality. And so what are they going to do? They're going to be easily drawn away mm -hmm. by people that tell them they can do it for them. Right? These, I call them digital diviners, like with the funny <laughs> sticks. They have these various ways of finding attention somewhere. That's what's going on. And, and it's just it's moving all over the place. Didn't work there. Let me try it over here. Oops, it didn't work there. That's what's happening. Well, let me ask you about that because I think that's an interesting point. In fact, I had underlined that valuable audience thing because my question was, what does that mean? What is a valuable audience? A valuable audience is an audience that comes back again and again and again and again. Look at Walmart's problems right now have to do with the people aren't coming back anymore. For whatever reason, the lines were getting too big, the stores were getting messy. I mean, you could have looked at them and said they were the, they were the Google in retail. Mm -hmm. Well, they've got it. Nobody's, you know, everybody's going to just keep coming back. They come back until they don't. I think the problem with these digital media companies in general is that a valuable audience is not an audience that keeps coming back. It's an audience that grows ever larger. 
That's ah, the right. problem. And, and the because, massive scale thing you're talking about, yes, right? As long as that's the game, it's a game that is precarious and it's a game that invariably you lose. When the ex- expectations, I mean, you know, it literally used to be, a million used to be a lot of, a lot of traffic. Now, you know, 10 million is a lot of traffic or 50 million is a lot of traffic or even more. I mean, the scales are getting to the point where no one can sustain them. And even the people generating that scale, like, for example, BuzzFeed, is financing itself. And by the way, it's not that profitable. It's financing itself largely to the tune of native advertising, of acting as an ad agency for clients. So even there, the traffic's not that valuable, even though it's large. Yeah. The bigger you get, the harder it is to appeal to particular people, mm-hmm. right? So you start losing your voice. And, and that's what happens to everyone. That's why, that's why people don't realize that when they pick up one of these beers that they think are, are, are one of these uh, bespoke uh, little breweries, mm-hmm. that, they're, that they're owned by the major breweries. Because <laughs> the major breweries have said, look, leave them alone. People think they're getting this unique thing right. with them. Don't let them know that we own it. Right. So that's probably the way this is going to pan out is, is the, some big media company is just going to go up and gobble up all of these little niche offerings right. and aggregate all those eyeballs and spread the messages around. And that is called a shakeout. That's a shakeout. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you are listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, a recipe to reinvent your legacy media company. This comes from our good friend Jack Myers, who some people say knows more about media than we do, Tom. No, he's a, he's smarter than we are. But his podcast isn't as good. No, not at all. It's not as funny. No. <laughs> I think it even exists, so it's definitely not as funny. Um, so the article is from uh, his own uh, site. It's called Legacy Media Companies, A Three-Box Approach to Reinvention. And it's a little, it's, it, you know, when I first read it, I thought, wow, this is a little technical. Then as I took a longer look at it, I said, wow, this is actually extraordinarily simple. It Basically, simple. It, it's drawn from a, a Harvard Business Review article that says, look, take your strategies and put them in three boxes as a legacy media company. Box one is here's how we go about business today and yesterday. You know, here's the way things have always been done, everybody's right. favorite phrase. Box one, you should spend a certain large proportion of your time on because that's where all your revenue is coming from. Box two is the category that says, here's what you have to be working on in order to address um, uh, uh, disruptive elements in your uh, business market. The changing marketplace, The changing right? <laughs> marketplace. You know, so as he put it, things like, uh, well, in... in um, Within media and advertising, content marketing, branded entertainment, over-the-top distribution, social media extensions, and investing in new research tools. That would all be in that category, that box two of things that are kind of changing our world at the edges. Box three is the creating the future category. And this, he says, the average legacy media company spends anywhere from zero to five percent of their time and money on and they should spend more like 10 to 15% on it. And this is where they create the future. And for this category, he says, create a separate kind of, um, 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 create a separate group of people, non-traditional voices, uh, hold them accountable, not for results as much as for running disciplined experiments. It's the lean startup thing, right? Run small experiments. And then um, uh, test projects, experiment with projects, and see what happens. And that's worth... 10 to 15% of your uh, revenue to do that. 
uh, because ultimately uh, working at the edges isn't enough, and God knows working on the way things always have been done isn't enough. Does that about sum it up? Yeah, it sums it up, but <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, it's a good article. Uh, it makes, it, it sounds like it makes sense. I mean, Jack writes that marketers, media companies, agencies, they fundamentally must redesign their business models for the future ecosystem, right? right. So you read that. Oh, while acknowledging organizationally that the status quo yes. continues to drive the majority of current revenue. So you one. read it. Yeah. yeah, you read it and you say, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now, let me tell you something. One of the most difficult things for human beings to do <laughs> is, to, is to balance those two things. So the three-box approach, it sounds really good, but it seems a bit, to me, too rational. Because mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're moving people from one box, their present beliefs, mm-hmm. and you're saying... I want you to sit in three boxes at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't think people can handle that tension and, and selectively forget the past. That's what he, in one of the boxes, it says, selectively forget the past. Yes. I don't buy that. Listen, people need someone to give them permission to let go of the past, right? That's what Steve Jobs did. I mean, imagine this guy, Steve Jobs, calling his engineers in the mm-hmm. office, and he tells them, stop all work on the iPod, which is growing year over year, and redirect all your passion and your energy and attention into the iPhone. Mm-hmm. And it was because of that single strategic decision. It's that's what propelled Apple to their present, you know, their economic and iconic status. But that is what happened, right? No, but he just, he didn't say, okay, you guys sit on the iPod. That's growing really well. And let's start working over here on the iPhone. He said, uh-uh. Get your attention off the foolish iPod. I don't care if it's growing or not. We need to have fo- these songs on a phone, mm-hmm. right? Not yeah. that they didn't make some minor improvements, but they didn't put their energy there. He so, gave them permission to forget about that. So what you are saying then is that the three-box thing makes a lot of sense as long as it comes from the leader and it's part of the kind of the organiz- organizational mission and not just an overlay on business as usual. Yeah, but yeah, because look, you know, that he talks about things like old systems and business models. Mm-hmm. Mark, th- that's not what's going on. That's not what's constraining them. It's their identity. It's their stories. 20 years ago, right? Andy mm-hmm. Grove wrote that book, Only the Paranoid Survive. Yep. And he was trying to describe this powerful cultural straitjacket that was squeezing the death out of Intel. And, and their ability to adjust to a new marketplace reality. Right, right. Listen to what he used for word, the words he used to describe what was going on. He said the company had a couple of beliefs that were as strong as religious dogmas. Mm. Both of them had to do with the importance of memories as the backbone of our manufacturing and sales activities. Mm-hmm. So he said that even after meetings and more meetings and bickering and proposals and losing money, Finally, he was able to convince the executive team, and he was the CEO, (laughs) that it was time to move on from the memory business into a brand new business called microprocessors. Mm -hmm. So it is not what people think it is. It is some illusion, this identity thing that creates your, your destiny, and you can't move because you think this is who we are. We're, you know, we're, we're into uh, this business. We can't go into that business. So what's the solution then? It seems like what you're saying is the problem is with your belief about what business you're in and how that business works. Yeah. The solution 
is you have to either see reality for what it is or bring somebody in here that can show it to you. You see, that's what Steve Jobs had the ability to do. Somebody showed him a Nokia phone, mm -hmm. and he saw that there were three songs on it. And this guy just went, oh, my God, that's the new reality. Songs mm -hmm. on phones, not a separate little player to play songs. And he just took that reality. He didn't overthink it. His intellectual instinct said, this is what we've got to do. How do you circumvent that problem then, Tom, when you've got entire industries built around status quos and best practices? I mean, if you're a guy in the middle management of, let's say, the radio industry, the industry where I've done a lot of my work, um, you're subject to certain beliefs that are forced down upon you and that are favored by the industry nationwide. I mean, how do you turn that battleship in the, in the, in, in the wake of that kind of resistance? The CEO has to make the strategic decision to move, to, to, to get everyone to move. He can't ask them. They can't sit around and debate it and analyze it. You know, Steve Jobs didn't say, hey, I saw three songs on the phone. Would you guys go write up some proposals? Do you think this is the future? What's mm -hmm. the size of the market? Will people buy it or not buy it? I'm telling you, I've seen that process. Mm -hmm. It doesn't accomplish anything. It takes years. And by the time you get done, there are a bunch of iPhones out there that beat you. It's interesting you say that because one of the categories I do a lot of work in is uh, non-commercial radio, especially uh, uh, Christian non-commercial radio, and that's listener-supported. And listener-supported means supported by listeners. But they're not necessarily the same listeners that are tuning in the radio station. If, in fact, you look at the metrics, you'll see that the average donor, as it's called, is significantly older in most cases from the average listener and not getting any younger. And in fact, the trends over time indicate that there are fewer donors. They just happen to be giving more. Right. Um, and that's how the numbers are rising. Well, someone, as I've said a few times recently, no one's standing back and saying that this, we're headed for an iceberg here. I know. You know, the premise is, well, but... When younger people grow into their philanthropic years, won't they give to Christian radio too? And I said, well, that's an, I mean, they will become more philanthropic for sure. But why should they give to your um, uh, platform? Um, think of all the things they have to do with their money today. They're only going to have more in the future. <laughs> and Look why at, should they give to the one their parents gave to? Listen, what you're saying, when you're saying all that rational stuff, yeah. that... It's like my dog. It hears blah, 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 blah. Because, because look, listen, Andy Grove said it. Given the strength of our beliefs, mm -hmm. an open-minded, rational discussion about getting out of memories was practically impossible. So and how that's what did you're trying to it? do. How you have to have somebody it? that can make an irrational decision. You mean just, we're going to do this because let's do it and Yeah, Yeah, I back, saw this. Out. I saw this. It's called the, listen, I, when I told a friend of mine years ago about the internet, and this was a, a big time, big shot executive. Mm -hmm. He said to me, the internet, what the hell are you talking about? Who's going to go on the internet and do what? <laughs> do, do you see what I mean? So, so it does, this is what I'm telling you. People's patterns of belief, their story, their history, their habits, their identity. Mm -hmm. It's really funny. Uh, an executive at a major corporation once handed me a book to try to tell me what was important about their organization. And you know what the title of the book was? What? Identity is Destiny. 
The funny thing was, he wasn't telling me that in a bad way. He was trying to tell me that in a good way. Oh. You get it? You get I the do, paradox? I get it. It's amazing. It is amazing. Tom, it's time for rants and raves. What do you have this week? Well, I'm going to rant and rave on innovation because Jack wrote his article about innovation. So I said, okay, let me talk about innovation. So in an age when consumers are increasingly, I don't know, frantic, frustrated, they're unhealthy, they're struggling to make ends meet. So two mega brands have come to their rescue by launching breakthrough innovations. First, there's Staples, the $20 billion a year office supply retailer. So they revealed a new feature on their iOS app late last week mm -hmm. designed to help busy parents get their children ready for school. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was released too late to actually help them this year, <laughs> right? But what, what, what the hell, they tried. It'll be ready so, next year. <laughs> yeah, so they tried, right? So here's how it works. So the busy parents stop what they're doing. They uh -huh. sit down and they make a handwritten or type list of all of their back-to-school needs. Then they take a photo of that list with their iPhone and upload it on the Staples app. Ah. Now, get ready for the magic. Using a combination of artificial and human intelligence, uh -oh. which, by the way, I predict is going to make a big comeback, this human intelligence thing. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I heard a newscaster the other day say that Uber's self-driving cars will each come with a trained human. Ah. See, this That's human great. thing. Yeah, this human thing is going to make a comeback. Anyway, so <laughs> this is what Staples does now when they get this photo. They populate your shopping cart with the items on the list. Mm -hmm. Now, the process takes uh, like a couple of days. But look, you don't even have to compare prices. Staples will decide what priced items to place in your cart. You simply have to click order like mm -hmm. the busy robot that you are. Right. They'll ship it all to you. Or you can hail an Uber and hop in the autonomous car with your trained driver and drive to the store <laughs> and pick it all up. I mean, how convenient is that? What an innovation we're talking about. So I look at that and I said, oh, my, this is something for like Saturday Night Live, right? Yeah. And then I read something that tops that. You ready for this yes, one? Yes, yes, yes. This comes from PepsiCo, a $60 billion behemoth. They really pushed innovation, that whole envelope, right to the edge by releasing, get ready, USDA certified organic Gatorade. Oh, no. Yeah. How do you like that? Now, if it works, if consumers are silly enough to pay the hefty price premium, PepsiCo is headed back to the labs to begin work on a brand of organic aerosol cheese. That's going to be the next one. <laughs> aerosol cheese. Hey, they have aerosol cheese, don't they? Isn't that what that stuff in the can is? Well, yeah, that's not theirs. That's not their brand. Oh, I think it's called Easy, e Easy Cheese. <laughs> Oh, I, you know, along these lines of innovation, I have a couple things. The first one is, um, I don't even know if these are rants or raves, actually. This is from Digiday, and Digiday occasionally does a dictionary of where they demystify industry phrases. And at first I thought, oh, another list of those. But these are actually intended to be clever. So I want to just run some of these by you and what you think. Here is the term and then Digiday's definition of the term, Digiday's demystification of the term. Here we go. Branded content, an ad. Native advertising, an ad. <laughs> Sponsored content, an ad. What the hell? Storytelling, an ad. <laughs> All things designed to communicate ad. Here's some more. Agency of record, their definition for that, fall guy. 
agency review free ideas. What is this, a joke? Uh, these are all... Th- <laughs> it's kind of a joke. It's supposed to be a joke, huh? Brand newsroom. Marketers with journalism school degrees. Consumers. Okay. Humans. Idea consultancy agency. Idea factory agency. Um, Periscope. You know, the app Periscope. Piracy. Yep. Publisher. Anyone with an internet connection. Surprise and delight. The same thing we did last year. Uh, (laughs) Viral. Posted to YouTube. So those are just some of Digiday's technical definitions explained. So that's, I don't know if it's a rant or a rave, but I thought it was interesting that, you know, all the terminology uh, can, what, what, for uh, different forms of advertising really boiled down to an ad. An ad. Yeah. And here's the last thing that I had. And again, I'm not even sure if this is a rant or a rave. I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence about it, but you have no doubt heard about KFC, formerly known as Kentucky Fried Chicken, getting into the chicken-scented sunscreen business, right? Oh, I, I think I did hear something Yeah, about you must have heard about that, right? Because, <laughs> of course, that's the business they're in, chicken-scented sunscreen. It's so, another innovation. It is an innovation, which is why it ties in. It also ties in with our discussion about scale, because their chicken-scented sunscreen, which is a tongue twister, sold out in three hours, Tom. Three hours it sold out. Now, of course, there were only 3,000 bottles in existence, <laughs> One of which, I will tell you, just sold on eBay for $300. So part of me thinks that maybe instead of giving this stuff away for free in order to get, you know, PR, they should have sold each bottle for $300. <laughs> they might have made more money. But in any event, um, the attention that this promotion got, this is a Wyden and Kennedy, you know, promotion designed to get attention. I mean, there's there's nothing... There's nothing hidden about this. This is pure attention grabbing. So they created the sunscreen. They created a microsite to promote the sunscreen, a little video to promote the sunscreen. Um, if you look just the next day on Google News, you would see 95 news sites that uh, covered the stunt. It was covered by HuffPo and People and Elite Daily and Daily Mail and Marie Claire and Telegraph and Evening Standard. All of these um, uh, platforms covered it. There were 11,000 mentions on social media in one day. And 76% of all uh, sentiment categorized mentions were positive. And here's what the, uh, the article says about this. And media outlets took the bait. Digital publishers like BuzzFeed have changed the landscape, upping the stakes as publishers feel increasingly pressured to chase scale. There it is. With the dominance of Facebook, too, they are also looking for shareworthy content. This was an easy win. In other words, Tom, the way to get attention is to create something crazy that people share, that gets you attention, and then your hope is, I guess, that when you're in the mood for some chicken and you're driving by that KFC, um, it will be uh, of interest to you enough that you'll pull in through the drive-thru. I guess that's what it is. But see, that's the, see, that's the problem, is this definition of the win. That's, you know that's what I right. mean? Yeah. That's right? Right. I'm rubbing stuff on my arm and I smell it and I say, I think I'll go get a bucket. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> well, but see, this is, this is why I don't know whether to rant or rave about this. Because on the one hand, this is classic scale chasing, right? This right. is classic widening Kennedy, you know, uh, how do we top uh, um, the, the Old Spice guy, which right. was also widening Kennedy, I believe. Um, so this is just, not only that, but did you know that they've got a couple of different actors now playing Colonel Sanders? Did you know who the extra crispy Colonel Sanders is? <laughs> what? No, I don't. They have one who's dedicated to the extra crispy line, which is one of their big growth lines. Um, 
idiot, and see if you can go back in your, uh, your data bank for this. What do you say extra crispy? This is like a character who didn't wear sunscreen? What does this even well, mean? This, uh, I think it'll help you when I tell you who the actor is. It is the great George Hamilton. Oh, man, with the orange tan? <laughs> that is correct. George <laughs> Hamilton is extra crispy Colonel Sanders, which oh, is great for okay. George's career at this stage. And I guess an interesting fit for people, for consumers of a certain age. But I just didn't know what to make of this. I thought on the one hand, well, I get it. You know, this is getting attention. This is legitimate. On the other hand, I thought, so this is the job of media now to glom on to the wackiest, silliest stunt um, because the news holes are infinite. It's no different than those two innovations I talked about. I know. We're run they're running out of ideas. But the ideas have, you know, the ideas are, are border on random. <laughs> this is what I'm telling you because they're running out. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody knows how to be relevant anymore. That's why all these crazy things are starting to happen. Well, I think you and I can agree on one thing at least, and that is that it would be nice to get some stuff that's relevant and genuinely useful and not just something designed to fill up your uh, fa Facebook, uh, Facebook, my goodness, Facebook newsfeed, right? I'm going to go register Facebox.com right now. <laughs> There's something that tells me that that's the future. <laughs> <laughs> that's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, and I mean this this time, please rate the show, but maybe not this episode. No. It helps, it helps other folks discover us. And if you know Jack Myers, please ask him to rate the show because people pay <laughs> attention to his ratings. You can also catch us at Art19, where our stuff is hosted, Radio Inc., Media Village, Net News Check, and the esteemed American Marketing Association, which I still can't believe, Tom. No, I mean, that was a, that was a big win for How'd us. How'd we do that? I don't know. I, we must have known someone. We must have known somebody. You can follow Tom <laughs> on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, tweet us. Catch up on older episodes at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the amazing, one-of-a-kind producer of Media Unplugged, Mr. Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio for media. You can find him at jeff-schmidt.com. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thanks for listening. You know, Tom, we should do like one thing at the end of the show so that only those people who get all the way through remember, like a secret word or something. Like right now, you mean? Yeah, right now. What would what, it be? Jeez, I, 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 I don't have one. <laughs> Facebox. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody.